We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome into the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday. September 16th, Nick Whalen joined as always by Rota Wire's head honcho of college football, John McKechnie. John, you know, we have to start with the Big Ten. There, this has been brewing for certainly the last few days, uh, and, and really kind of since going all the way back to, to early August when it when it started to look like things were in jeopardy for the Big Ten. Obviously the season was canceled, uh, but repeated attempts from players, from parents of players from Ohio state. It seemed like every, every two days they were issuing a new plea uh, to allow them to play. And all this has now culminated in the big 10 officially announcing not Tuesday night uh, as we were, I wouldn't say as expected. It was basically as overheard on a hot mm-hmm. mic, uh, <laughs> but they, they wait until Wednesday morning. Um, and what news to wake up to on a Wednesday that the big 10 will be back. The season will start October 24th. It'll be eight games in eight weeks. 
Um, there will be no built-in buys. There will be no non-conference games. Um, and then at the end, I, which I think is kind of a cool wrinkle, there's going to be on, on Big Ten Championship Day, when, when that game is the final game of the night, they're going to match, uh, you know, cross division opponents based on where you finish. Doppelgangers. Yes, where you finish in each each division, which I believe are back to being called the the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West now. R.I.P. to the legends. R.I.P. to the leaders. It's been um, that way, but it, in my heart, it's still leaders and legends in a lot of yeah. ways. No, absolutely. Um, I, I think they actually pulled the plug on that too quickly. Um, there was some there was some necessary backlash at first, but honestly, I think if they had just plowed through it and you know looking back five ten years later people would just call it legends and leaders wouldn't be that big of a deal um but anyway each team will will be cross-matched with the finisher uh from the other division so if you finish third in the east you'll play the third place team from the west um all in all you know it's it's it feels rushed because it is rushed you know there's still plenty of questions about the safety of all this um I, i think more than anything kind of the long term effects for a lot of these programs that have, you know, basically the entire team, you know, LSU came out and said earlier this week, or Coach O said that basically his whole team has had COVID. Herd immunity. He, he, yeah, he, he seemed to, to view that as a good thing. Uh, whereas there's been a little bit more trepidation uh, from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten as far as investigating, you know, what having COVID, even if you're not showing symptoms or you're showing mild symptoms, what that could mean five, ten years down the road. We don't know that right now, uh, but there's some pretty rigorous testing um that's going to be in place for the big 10 there's going to be daily testing and i I think that was kind of the big thing that that got all 14 schools on board uh obviously there's some some money at play here as well there will not be fans in the stands however so you know just how much money they're going to recoup uh we'll see and that's going to be coming predominantly from the tv deals but at the end of the day john we have one of the major conferences uh, in america I, i think there were what six or seven big 10 teams that were in the preseason top 25 Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of a rejuvenation uh, of college football after two pretty quiet weeks, uh, subdued weeks, you know, without the Big Ten, without the Pac-12, without the SEC yet uh, to begin the year. Yeah, it's it's been a, a definite whirlwind. And, and when it comes down to uh, the the testing, like you said, being being that really big determining factor, it reminds me a little bit because the Pac-12, I think, kind of really got the ball rolling last week or, or, you know, my days are blurring together at this point, but uh, it was either last week or late in the week before where the PAC 12 had basically either agreed with, with some company that, that has the instant testing or the rapid testing. Um, and, and now they're not back in action for, for several reasons, but like the big 10 almost like took the baton and ran with it. And now, now they're the ones that, that are back first among the the conferences that canceled. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, when you're standing around with a group of friends and like you, you say a a one liner, no one really hears it, but then someone like repeats it and gets all the laughs. That's sort of what like the pac 12 (laughs) get getting like the, Oh, we have the testing in place. Uh, And big 10's like, Oh, you have the, all right, we have the testing now. And uh, we're, we're going to play, we're going to play it's in. Um, So, it's uh i'm i'm here for it it's been a weird you know on my end trying to figure out what this means for for my day-to-day as far as like managing the college football section but more football is good football in in my opinion so uh, i'm happy that the big 10 is going to be uh back in the fold here and and being a factor and all that uh they've really really laid out 
a pretty thin margin for error. Like you mentioned, the, the no built-in bye week, that they got to play those eight games in eight weeks. Um, if there's a positive test for a given player, there's apparently a 21-day inactive period. So uh, we'll see when push comes to shove if, you know, God forbid, a, a Justin Fields or, or someone like that got COVID before they yeah, played God Michigan. <laughs> or, it, you know, uh, the, the, the real... Uh, values, I think, what will be will be shown out uh, one way or the other if if they mm-hmm. honor that that 21 day uh, thing or not. Uh, I think they they have to. But um, if a big name player gets it, that's going to be the you know yeah. the worst case scenario for for the Big Ten brass um, shutdown threshold of five percent of the team. Uh, a friend of mine brought up a good point. Like, does that mean just like the entire roster? Does that mean on on like a given week the travel roster if you're playing on the road uh, because right. that number shrinks um, a little bit. So so very thin margin for error. Obviously, I'm ro- rooting for it to work out. I'm rooting for it to work out all, all across the country. Um, but we've seen where things haven't gone smoothly and there have had to be, um, you know, some scheduling reconfigurations already. I mean, like uh, Memphis and Houston, their game being canceled this coming week. Uh, Baylor and Houston deciding that, that they both. Uh, we're able to give it a go. So they are going to be playing this week. Like uh, if the big 10 is sticking to a conference only thing um, and you have that rigid schedule, what happens if one of those teams gets, gets, um, you know, a, a right. something of an outbreak, it's going to be very, very um, tenuous that entire time. Those are all fair questions. Um, and I, I also wonder too, like, does this include, you know, when you mentioned like the traveling roster, does this include trainers, coaches, assistants, you know, every, everybody who is, you know, hands-on on the sidelines for these games? Uh, that is not really clear yet at this point. But I mean, looking at these numbers, you know, you're, you're talking about a, you know, a travel roster that can be, you know, close to 100 guys in college football. But like 5%, 7.5% seem pretty low when you start talking about the positivity rates needed to trigger. Um, you know, those, those kind of self quarantines, I I'm optimistic, I guess, you know, for the most part after a Rocky start, baseball has, has handled itself pretty well. There haven't mm-hmm. been any major issues. Obviously the NBA is, is kind of a different situation doing the bubble, but that's gone extremely well. NFL week one has gone well. So like the, there are models for this to work. Um, but with college football is just such a different animal just because of, you know, the fact that you're dealing with kids who are, you know, sometimes 18 years old and would presumably have a difficult time uh, or a more difficult time following some of these guidelines than than guys who are in their 30s. And then the other one is the fact that these guys aren't being paid, you know, so there's just I, I think there's a lot of room for criticism here. But at the same time, uh, it, it's pretty clear to me that college football and, and the Big Ten Conference took their time and, and waited, uh, at least the university presidents who are voting on this, you know, they waited until they had something that they felt was comprehensive enough to to really work. Or I don't think they'd be diving in if they felt like this was a 50-50 proposition. Right. And I think what tipped the scales ultimately was um, having those those rapid same day tests. You know, yep. being able to to get that locked in is is so crucial um, to having this all work. Um, you know, I'm not going to glad hand the Big Ten and, and say that they they were the morally superior conference or anything like that for, for initially canceling the season. And um, I'm happy that they're back, but I also think that there's um, a, 
a sense in, in my gut, at least, that um, the financial realities setting in of not making any money off of football this season definitely put the the pressure on them to find a way. And it came via the, the rapid testing, I, I think, was was ultimately the key. Um, but but money w- was probably, you know, the the dry, the most driving factor behind it and then the physical manifestation of it just being uh, having that testing mm-hmm. capability out there um so uh, i'm glad the big 10 is back but um there, there's no and, and this goes for any conference there, there's no um like crown of of roses for you for for uh getting that this season going especially the way that they've kind of flubbed it every every which way from the start of August all the way up up until now with all the mixed messaging and the the goalpost moving and all that. Um, I'm happy at the end of the day again, but um, I think the Big Ten uh, can definitely deserve some, some criticism for the way that things have progressed or not progressed, transgressed all, all the way throughout this. So we, we had a meeting this morning and, you know, you mentioned that you've you've had the Big Ten projections for our site in the vault. Um, what is what has this process been like for you? I asked you a similar question a few weeks ago when we were still preparing for week one. But I mean, how difficult has this been as someone who has to manage a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for for an entire sport that's going back and forth every single week? Like, how does adding a major conference into things, you know, uh, obviously you have some time until the Big Ten starts playing. But, um, you know, how is this how has this affected your day to day with now the Pac-12, you know, being somewhat up in the air as well? Yes. Yeah, so, so many um, just moving parts and, and, and push and pull on, on a daily basis. Um, so I've kind of had the Big Big Ten out of my mind as far as w- what I do projection wise uh, for a while. They're, they're one of the first conferences that, that I addressed um, when I start doing projections over the summer. So, again, like you said, they are in the vault. Um, so dust those off and, and adjust accordingly and everything like that. But um, as far as, yeah, the my day to day um I really tried to go over the the slates with a fine tooth comb and, and make sure that uh, the players are projected accurately um, in a way that that lines up uh, with with reality and and not just like my my intuition type of thing. Um, so try to get that as as uh, nailed down as I can. Um, they're always being there. They're always like new teams being added. They're you know. After you get a game or two worth of sample, you got to readjust uh, some things, especially with, with the schools with less uh, news coverage, that that sort of thing. Um, so trying to get that all all sorted out um, has definitely been a challenge. It's been a unique challenge. I wouldn't say it's any more or less challenging than than what I usually uh, am dealing with at this time of year. Um, but it, it's a very different challenge and, and uh, just uh, approaching the weeks a little bit differently now with, with the slates being different and, and different teams and conferences being getting started at different times. It all it has all made for a very uh, rich tapestry. And, and you know, I got to say, I've gotten to know some of these uh, FCS teams and uh, Houston Baptist. Love you guys. Uh, big fan uh, of the mm-hmm. Houston Baptist guys. Um, I, I guess uh, Bailey Zapp and some of the, some of the other uh, greats. Yes. From from Houston Baptist. They, they almost pulled it off against Texas Tech this past weekend. So shouts out uh, to them. Um but yeah, got gotten to know them a little bit and a couple of the other odds and ends that the Stephen F. Austin game from the first week they're going to be uh, playing this week. So um, they're you know it, getting to know some of those teams has been a little bit of fun in, in a weird way. Um, and then uh, yeah, other other than that, yeah, pr- progressing basically um, as as best as we can uh, on the on the college football side in the college football department here. 
of which I'm the head honcho. Yes, you are. A rich tapestry, indeed. That's kind of how I've always viewed our college football department as a as a tapestry. Thank you. All right, let's get back into what's actually been happening on the field so far. Um, a little bit of a muted schedule to begin the year with with so many teams uh, not in action, but we had some some better games, at least some high-profile teams uh, on the slate in Week 2. Clemson comes out, uh, beats Wake Forest pretty handily. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the start Clemson had last year where, you know, yeah, they're up 37-3 to at the end of the third quarter. They call off the dogs. They, they don't score on the fourth. Uh, but this seemed like a game that Clemson, you know, easily could have run it up over 50 points if they really wanted to. Yeah, at no point w- was it really clear that that Wake Forest was going to, if Clemson wanted to score a touchdown, that Wake Forest would find a way to stop them. It just never really felt that way. And I know that mm-hmm. uh, Wake Forest does have some talent on the defensive side of the ball, but um, it's just it's too much. Clemson just has way too much talent. Like it's only getting better. So yes, that they, they probably were a little bit sloppy overall. I think that you know their their coaches probably didn't think that that was the the perfect performance from them. Um, it is early in the season, and they were starting um, on the road against a you know a quality um, conference opponent. Not not a great team necessarily in Wake Forest, but but a team that that has some backbone. Not not a complete pushover. Um, but yeah, I think I think that. Uh, Clemson just kind of business as usual there, like you said. Um, they they are still clearly the class of the ACC. You know, ticketed basically for a, another uh, trip to the college football playoff. I don't see any drop off there. Trevor Lawrence looked just as good, uh, pretty much as ever. He looked a little bit sloppy in week one last year against Georgia tech, but, but looked a a little bit sharper this time around, even though he only ended up uh, with one touchdown. I think he was still like averaging like well over 12 yards per attempt or something. So every time he dropped back, um, he was, you know, making uh, big splash plays. I mean, 351 yards on 28 attempts. uh, That's legit. And then Mm -hmm. um, for him to uh, go ahead and vulture a couple of touchdowns uh, that, that definitely sent some people into some DFS tilt, but uh, my, my creed, at least through the early part of the season, when, when Clemson is favored, by anything more than four touchdowns is to mostly avoid those Clemson Tigers because of how frustrating it's going to be for them to to get to that point in a, mm. in the way that you are expecting. So, um, yeah, we, weaving in a little bit of DFS analysis there. But, yeah, Clemson remains a team that, that's frustrating to, to pick apart. We'll, we'll get to them when we get to the DFS section. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence now has some kind of an unlikely competition brewing between him and Gardner Minshew of all people. Like I think if Trevor Lawrence wants to go number one in the draft, he has to prove that he's definitively better than Minshew who frankly outplayed him in week one in the NFL. Um, well, um, I think you have to look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the team that, that is more likely at this very moment <laughs> to get the number one Technically uh, in last pick. place. Technically. Yeah. The worst team ever. Uh, whereas yeah. the, the Jaguars, a wagon potentially so they had some they had some very wagon-like qualities in that game that defense that defense might be more of a wagon than i was given it credit for i love to see that and then you know uh i don't don't think we're we're stepping too far out of the college football boundaries here um because gardner Minshew was a dfs uh stalwart two years ago at at wazoo and everyone remembers lavisca chenault for for dfs so um yeah, it's it's fun to see those guys connecting on an NFL field already and makes me excited. And Mustache Kind alike is very proud of Gardner Minshew as as a card carrying member of the Mustache Society. Yeah, all good points. Uh, I mean, for CJ Henderson too to step in and all the, already be the best defensive player in the NFL by week <laughs> one of his rookie year, I, that I did not see coming. 
No, a lot of people didn't. I know that you you saw it coming more than most, even though you didn't you didn't explicitly call it. You know, there there've been some hints, um, yep. but but yeah, it was. Um, I think jarring for for the average person to to see the the sort of uh, combination of Deion Sanders, Jalen Ramsey, um, and uh, der- early career Darrell Dur- Revis all rolled into right. one already. Yeah, couldn't have got better for the Jags in Week One. Um, another high profile program in action Week Two, the Oklahoma Sooners absolutely rolled over Missouri State. Not extremely surprising. Uh, they, they held Missouri State to 81 passing yards, 54 rushing yards on 24 attempts. Uh, this was a, a complete beatdown. Spencer Rattler was out of the game fairly early, uh, just 17 pass attempts for him, but got to 290 yards, four touchdowns. He looked great. Uh, not not a ton on the ground for Oklahoma. I mean, 35 carries for 124 yards. Uh, you probably expect a few more chunk plays from Oklahoma. I think they only had three runs of, of 10 yards or more, but I mean, the story is that obviously you, you don't want to read too much into a matchup with Missouri State, but at least through week one, Spencer Rattler looked plenty comfortable. Yes. So Spencer Rattler looked just absolutely surgical back there. Um, when when that game started, I would check my phone every couple of minutes and like uh, Oklahoma had like put up another touchdown. And the reason we, we could not see the Oklahoma game is they, they had it on like OU only fans, basically. Like they had it on like yeah. a $60 pay-per-view to watch them just stomp all over the Bobby Petrino coached Missouri state. Um, whatever they, they are Grizzlies. Maybe Their, their mascot is a, is a menacing looking bear. Yes. So that they at least have that going for them. But, um, to the, to the larger point there, uh, Oklahoma and, and, uh, Spencer Rattler more specifically, he looks like passing wise, he's going to keep up that, um, just, insanely efficient and explosive um, precedent that that has been set by the last uh, several Oklahoma quarterbacks. I think I think you could kind of call the the Lincoln Riley era back to like 2015 with 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 Baker Mayfield and up through there. Um, I think that uh, Rattler is more Mayfield than um, Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray in the sense that he's not um, always looking to run. I don't think he's quite the dual threat um, guy that that Hurts and Murray were, um, but he's definitely extremely polished as a as a passer, and we can see that already. I mean, 17 passes and 290 yards. Um, that's ridiculous. Four touchdowns along the way. Um, so it looks like at least from a passing perspective, this OU offense won't look any different. Um, the question will be like you like you alluded to, what does this run game look like? And I was concerned about it coming into this, not not in any way that it was going to uh, hurt them against Missouri State. But uh, before the game, Oklahoma had, I think, like 20 guys go in, like have to be inactive or 17, I think might have been the exact number. Um, guys that were prominent players, like guys that were either on the two deep or, or challenged um, for a position on the two deep uh, depth chart that simply were not allowed to play on Saturday night. And I, they didn't say it specifically, so I can't say it specifically, but I think that it's been like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge about COVID potentially. Um, so that um, resulted in um, what TJ Pledger um, being unable to give it a go. And then uh, Marcus Major was was announced as the starter and he got the most carries. He got 11 carries, but he was kind of stuffed. I mean, 2.8 yards per carry is pretty disappointing um, against an FCS opponent running behind an o- Oklahoma offensive line. Um, Seth McGowan looked pretty good. He's a freshman, uh, pretty high recruit. So I, I followed him 
uh, along during his recruiting. Uh, I'm definitely sold on him as a prospect, at least at, at this stage. But Oklahoma, if there is one question mark about this offense, it's what the running game ends up looking like, especially if they don't have a, a true rushing threat at quarterback and, and teams can more sell out um, against the running back specifically. Um, Ramondre Stevenson is currently on suspension. Um, and the, what else? Uh, Trey Sermon obviously transferred um, this offseason up to Ohio State. So the, the depth chart there is a little bit different. Kennedy Brooks uh, opted out before the season. So they're, they're like down to their fifth or sixth guy um, really right now. So um, once they get into the meat of their schedule, I think we're going to have to you know see what this uh, run game looks like. I think that's the biggest question mark right now. Speaking of question marks, Sam Howell, not a great debut. Uh, to the season uh, at North Carolina. I mean, they, they get the win over Syracuse. It looks fine, 31-6. to six. But, uh, John, this was a game that was 10-6 to six going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Sam Howell's lone touchdown came early in the first quarter, I believe, on UNC's first drive. So he goes touchdownless through the next three quarters against the Syracuse team. That is not great. Um, all three of those touchdowns in the fourth quarter come via the run from Javante Williams. Uh, you know, it's still a, a fine game efficiency-wise for Howell, 25 of 34. But... You know, when two of those nine incompletions are picks, uh, a little bit of a letdown uh, for him in his first first game of the year. Yeah, the the boys were tilting, and and you know he didn't get um, his 300 yard passing bonus, and he only had um, one passing touchdown. So it definitely um, a flop as far as like your your DFS uh, returns were. were were concerned that that was not great uh, one kind of shaky game in the first week of the season given everything that this offseason has brought to everyone um, it's not enough to make me like actually scared of Sam, of you know Sam Howell's prospects moving forward I think that we'll see a performance more in line with what we've come to expect from him uh, this week against Charlotte um, maybe I, I have some second thoughts for, for DFS or like doing like a full uh, North Carolina stack, although it's probably better to do that against Charlotte than it is against Syracuse. So um, the the pricing um, will will be something to, that factors in there. But yeah, I'm I'm not worried about Sam Howell. I think if if he were to struggle this week against Charlotte um, and then have like the bye week uh, for the for more storylines to marinate about, you know, is the pressure getting to Sam Howell or something? Maybe that there's a little bit something more to it. But as it stands, uh, the the um, the standard that that Hal set uh, with his freshman season is too much for for just one kind of like mediocre uh, game to really uh, overreact too much. But it was frustrating in the moment for sure. All right. It's time for me to cede the floor to you to discuss Florida State, which in our outline here is the only thing in all caps. <laughs> yeah. State of the Florida, Florida State. Um, it's not good. Uh, basically is the is the lay of the land down in Tallahassee uh, losing to Georgia Tech when you were fairly heavy favorites in that one um, this is the first game of the Mike Norvell era so you know everyone's all excited um, no more Willie Taggart we, we got we got our guy now in, in Norvell though Norvell had kind of a, a rocky summer um, so the for Florida State to lose this one in just like a really gross fashion, it was just like there was like lightning and lightning delays that the kickoff got delayed. There was a long lightning uh, delay uh, during the first half of this game. So it was, you know, weird circumstances for, for both teams. But uh, Florida State got, gets out to a 10 point lead, only scores three more points the rest of the way, allows Georgia Tech to to crawl back in and, and you know, eventually come out with the victory on their home field. Um 
you know, I, I ask this to you just as like a, a college football observer. Is Florida State cursed? Yes, definitively. Yes, it, it's very possible that uh, Doe Campbell Stadium was built on Wamapoke land. It, it possibly the same curse that affected the Pawnee Harvest Festival. Oh, That's kind of where I'm going with this. I, I don't know. I mean, there's no reason for them to be struggling like this. But at the same time, we've seen we've seen several programs over the years, um, you know, who've had you know, not only past glory, but in Florida State's case, fairly recent glory. I mean, they've, they've won a national title within the last decade. And it, so many teams have kind of fallen into that rut that when you start kind of getting into that, I wouldn't even call it a coaching carousel. I mean, it's like a, a coaching tilt-a-whirl at this point. Mm-hmm. Where you know you just it's really really hard to build something. Like college football is so unique where you you know you, it's it's almost impossible to turn a college football program around in one year um, because even if you recruit the number one class in the country, a lot of those guys aren't going to be impact guys for a few years. And right. when you're pulling the plug on a coach every few years, you just kind of reset that clock, reset that clock. You further push things back, um, and we're seeing Florida State you know kind of be the the most recent victim of that cycle. I mean, yeah. So I mean the. It's it's still too early, but it's starting to smell a little bit like the like the Texas problem of 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 the last decade or so before they got Herman sure. um, in place. Because, yeah, it, it just it's insane uh, for all the natural advantages that, that Florida State has as a program and for them to still put out a product that's this basically non-competitive or this below this far below expectations it's like there, there's something like cosmically wrong with, with florida yeah. state maybe maybe it, it can all be traced back to that Jameis fumble against oregon in the in the rose bowl that was the so fumble. funny yes yeah, so the fumble um maybe it starts there um but e- either way man i just i don't understand what's wrong with florida state they like something is rotten down there at the root and i don't really know what it is um mm-hmm. but for for Willie Taggart to fail as hard as he did, and I, I do think that like Willie Taggart is a better coach than than what he showed at Florida State, and I'm, I definitely like Norvell a lot too. I thought that he did an amazing job uh, with Memphis. I think a lot of people were wondering like, oh, was it all Justin Fuente? It's like, eh, no, I, th- I think Norvell did a great job of keeping Memphis not just relevant but really really competitive and turning out um, a lot of talent. So uh, is it a pro- is it a question of his system starting to click? at Florida state. I don't know. Um, but either way, if you're a Florida state fan right now, like you have to just be like, I, I can't believe we're, we're about to do this again. And I, I don't want to write off a, a coaching tenure after one game, but, um, that's certainly not the way that they wanted things to get started, um, under Norvell. Yeah. Very disappointing start. I mean, it's one thing to struggle. You, know, you mentioned Texas. I, I think Miami had kind of fallen into that category for a while. Notre Dame before Brian Kelly, uh, but even, even those teams, it felt like never were losing these type of games, you know, like they would they would maybe come up short uh, against other ranked teams, you know, just when it felt like Texas was back. I mean, how many times mm-hmm. were they declared back? They would always lose the the game that they really needed to officially be back. Whereas Florida State at this point, I mean, it's not like they're it's not like you're going in and getting waxed by Florida. Like that that's one thing. If that happens, that's kind of expected. But when you start losing to teams like Georgia Tech, when you're scoring 13 points in those games, three points in the final three quarters, um, I mean, that, that's just kind of like a, a new depth uh, for a program of that standing. It, it really is. And, you know, we saw almost two or just about two years ago, um, I believe it was Samford, who I think that they might Florida State might be playing this week. Uh, Samford almost beat them uh, in Tallahassee. And that, that's when I think people knew that things had really gotten sideways under under Taggart. But, um, yeah, that, I think uh, something's up there. And, and yeah, Fl- 
like you were saying with those with those comparisons to other like blue bloods who fell on tough times uh losing to a georgia tech this iteration of georgia tech although we we can transition into maybe uh talking some positive things about georgia tech here in a second but you know that that's almost equivalent to like a charlie strong losing to kansas but that would and that was like his final straw um and for that to be your first game out it is pretty tough uh elsewhere in week two we, we had the king debut uh that was a thursday night game uh, a lot of eyes on electric, that one yeah some pretty electric individual plays from the yeah. king uh you know the final line wasn't wasn't anything insane but uh, all in all, I, I think a, a pretty encouraging debut. I, I think if you're Miami, you probably want to score more than 31 points against UAB. Uh, but King finishes 16 to 24, 144 yards, one score, uh, 12 carries for 83 and a score. Um, you know, Miami rushed for 337 yards in this game. So very easily could have had more than 31 points. Yeah, Miami's r- run game, I think, might be nasty. And I, I believe... Uh, one of their offensive linemen got named ACC Offensive Lineman of the Week. So um, if Miami can get that element start, starting to uh, get nailed down, then that's huge for them. I think that's been kind of an issue in recent years for them. But uh, going back to De'Ara King, uh, somebody uh, remarked on Twitter, and I, I kind of agreed with it, where the passing looked basically like it did a year ago. It didn't look great, um, but the rushing w- was still just as as you know, electrifying as ever, you know, works his way out of his sack, out of a sack and, and, you know, turns it into a 25 yard gain, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but, but again, the passing efficiency and explosiveness, I don't think he has tremendous weapons down at at Miami. And I don't think that they're a gigantic improvement over what he was working with at at Houston for the most part. It is an improvement like Brevin Jordan, legit NFL guy, um, that type of thing. But, um, I think that we're going to see King's passing production kind of be a little bit behind what he's doing as a, as a rusher this year. I think that his his performance um, back in 2018, um, when he was a fringe Heisman guy, um, threw 36 touchdowns. I have a hard time, you know, even with the the volume of games scaled back um, slightly. I, I think that we're going to see him push for for closer to like the low 20s in terms of the the passing touchdowns. I think a lot of his value is going to have to come um, as a rusher, but I, I do think that he's going to be a guy that that keeps Miami very very competitive throughout the course of the season. All right, any other quick hits from week 2 before we move on to the week 3 DFS slate? Uh yeah, just quickly um Georgia Tech, you know, again we were just railing on on Florida State there for a while, but kudos to Georgia Tech for for going in and getting it done um for a, a program with Jeff Collins that is working their way out of the shadows of, of being like an old school option offense and trying to work its way into, you know, like real um, kind of modern college football. They need a statement win like that. And I think being able to catch Florida State where they did and coming out with a win, uh, that's huge for them. And I think that, you know, they might have found their, their quarterback for the future. I know that that year zero can always be tough and, and it was last year. So this is kind of like a year one. If you're, if you're looking at, at Georgia Tech's window on, under Jeff Collins and this window might be open a little bit sooner than, than we would have anticipated if if quarterback Jeff Sims is as good as he looked um, on Saturday. I thought that, you know, he completed almost 70 percent of his passes. He did have the two turnovers, but he looked the part back there, you know, 6'3", 215, um, moving the ball down the field when he needed to, uh, throwing a touchdown and then and then still running a fair bit. Um, I think Georgia Tech might have something in Jeff Sims, so uh, they should be excited for that. Um, Otherwise, uh, Fun Belt, 
uh, kind of dominated the weekend with, with them beating going three and zero against Big Twelve teams like Arkansas State. That game was uh, that was an amazing game. That was just a lot of fun. Jonathan Adams, uh, Jay Adams on the broadcast um, had a lot of unbelievable catches. He had a, like an Odell esque uh, catch that ended up getting called back, but I think he scored a touchdown on the next play or something. Uh, the Raging Cajuns just took it to Iowa State. Um, Iowa State was ranked. Uh, they're frauds, big old frauds. Um, and then uh, Coastal Carolina uh, just took Kansas apart, basically. And I, I think Kansas might have been favored in that game. And I, I have no idea um, as to why Coastal Carolina is just simply better. So um, Les Miles, I think that we, we might need to uh, retitle our podcast from earlier this summer, which uh, how soon is Kansas a national power? Because it, it, it might be pretty, pretty long from now. What did we settle on the timeline? Was, was it this year already? <laughs> I, I hope it was. I hope we said something like vaguely in in 2030 or something. So, but uh, definitely not going to be this year. I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah, I mean, and, until they bring Mark Mangino back as an assistant, uh, possibly as a co-head coach, possibly as a, like a right guard. Uh, I, I just, I think you mentioned a curse for Florida State. I, I think the curse of the Mangino is is on the Kansas Jayhawks right now. Yeah, that's real, and that that's a very um, heavy burden um, to to get oh, off of goodness. you. So. Wow. <laughs> I love it. That, that was actually pretty well done. Thank you. All right, John, let's dive into the week three DFS slate. We'll work off of draftings, prices. Um, pretty solid main slate this week. Uh, you said to me with no irony that you actually are, are pretty pumped for this one. I Yeah, I legitimately am. It it really does, you know, we got Big Ten football coming back in a, in like a little bit over a month, but we have a slate that very closely resembles what we would have seen on a given Saturday last fall or, or the fall before when, when DFS got started back up uh, in the college circle. So I'm pumped, man. We got a 12 game main slate on, on DraftKings with mostly very legit teams. And, uh, you know, there, there's some kind of interesting, weird matchups along the way and some, and some other uh, really fun ones as well. Um, I, my, my heart is very torn. I, I know um, after the last couple of podcasts, talking about my love of Grant Wells from Marshall, uh, but he, he, you know he's leading Marshall into battle against App State, so it's like a battle of my heart versus my heart. Um, so that that's a tough game on on the slate to to really um, to break down. You know I'm so close to it personally, um, but uh, the rest of these games are, are going to be fun. There, there's a lot to get into here. All right, let's start as always at the quarterback position. Uh, a lot of big names. Uh, on the slate this week, we, you have Trevor Lawrence, you have Sam Howell again, you have Ian Book at Notre Dame. Um, where do you lean when you start to look at some of these higher salaried guys? Lawrence leads the way, of course, at 9,700. Right. So Lawrence, I mean, it. You know, if you didn't take what I was saying to heart earlier in in the pod, it's just like Clemson is so they're they're such a wagon that they don't really need Trevor Lawrence to throw that much. I think last week. Uh, his performance against Wake Forest, like that's the most that we're we're gonna have seen him throw. Um, I'm pulling up his schedule right now to see the next time that that he might actually like have to stay in the game for a while. I mean, depending on how UV, UVA is, um, the next time that that Trevor Lawrence has to throw more than 28 passes might be like the Notre Dame game in Week 10 or something like that. That's yeah. just where 
uh, Clemson is, is positioned right now and the, the talent advantage that they have. I mean, you know, this isn't fantasy related, but their two freshman defensive ends, Miles Murphy and Brian Brissy last weekend, were just like already proving to be dominant players. It was their first game and they're playing against real power five competition. So all of this is a roundabout way of saying that Trevor Lawrence is not going to have enough volume to, to hit value for you. He would need to, at the very least, um, vulture a couple of touchdowns again at the goal line, probably add on two more through the air. That that I think could could get you close, um, but I'm not banking on that, especially when you have to tie up you know such a almost like a fifth of your salary um, salary cap into him. So I will fade off of Lawrence um, this week. Um, Sam Howell. We'll see. I, th- I think that North Carolina ha- probably has a vested interest in, in getting back on on track here. I think that they probably heard about the the sort of lukewarm response from everybody about last week's game. They probably want to get that right heading into their bye. So Sam Howell at 9K uh, probably makes a good bit of sense. And, you know, if you want to buy low on, on someone like a Daz Newsom this week, who I think I know let a lot of people down last week. It was low volume, low explosiveness from him. Uh, he's down. I think he was like 7,900 last week. Now he's 6,700. Um, so that's a pretty um, extreme reaction fr- from the price makers there, because, I mean, he's still a guy that was over 100 catches last year, like a thousand yard receiver um, that has a great quarterback. So um, you can still get after this North Carolina offense. And may- maybe this is the week to, to buy low on them going up a- against Charlotte, who you just played a, a very tough game um, against App State this past weekend. So um, don't let the the week um, op- opening performance from from North Carolina scare you too far away fr- from uh, Howell and the UNC guys. I don't know how many lineups I will end up making with Howell because I do like some of the value quarterbacks a little bit more in the lineups that I can make from there. But I think it, I will probably have like a FOMO lineup that I'm that I'm making shortly before kickoff on, on Saturday that that includes uh, Sam Howell. Um, I apologize if you can hear, like, it sounds like a helicopter is landing on my microphone. That is my dryer, uh, which is conveniently positioned right outside my door when I'm recording. Uh, so apologies for that, if that's audible. If not, completely ignore this. Um, you mentioned maybe, you know, staying away from some of those higher price guys who have these these lopsided matchups. You know, Clemson's playing the Citadel, uh, UNC and Charlotte, like you said. If you're going to go discount, like, under 7,000, uh, who are the guys to target? Um, so I think... It's tough, but I think that Levi Lewis is someone to to consider. He is the the starting quarterback at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, he's facing off against one of the worst, if not the worst, teams on the slate, at least from the FBS level, and in, in Georgia State, who is going to be playing their first game. Um, I'm probably a little bit more inclined to go after the the rushing attack for for Louisiana, um, but Lewis should be dropping back, throwing enough to to make it worth it, and I think that he's got receivers um, to make. Um, Georgia State pay. Um, you know, he did complete over 60% of his passes at, at a, an acceptable 7.3 yards per attempt against um, Kansas State last weekend. So, I mean, that that's that's good against K-State. So I imagine it's going to be a lot better on a per play basis going up um, against Georgia State this week. So I would consider him. Um, and then uh, an interesting idea I've been kind of toying around with is uh, doing the quarterback stack from the Oklahoma State 
Tulsa game and obviously Spencer Sanders, more, the more expensive option at, at 7,600. But if you pair him with, with Zach Smith on the other side at 5,600, um, you know, that's a guy that's going to be throwing the ball a ton. They have a very high tempo offense there at, at Tulsa. Um, so 5,600 for a guy that, that is going to be pushing for well over 30 pass attempts, in, in my opinion, uh, that could end up being huge. And even though, um, Oklahoma State has a lot of returning talent on defense. Um, I, I think that this still sets up for, for Smith to throw to be throwing it, you know, upwards of, of 30, 35, maybe even 40 times if Oklahoma State builds a huge lead. So at 5,600, um, that's definitely something to consider, especially when um, you might see some people try to get cute this week, um, go after the backup quarterback for Clemson. And uh, let me pull up the Wikipedia to get the, the pronunciation right. DJ. Uyangalele, um, Uyangalele, DJ Uyangalele, um, the the f- star freshman quarterback, getting like Russell Wilson comps, like a big Russell Wilson comp uh, type of energy coming coming from him. Um, he's at 6K on DraftKings. Uh, it's tempting, but Citadel runs the option. Like they're they're going to keep this game relatively short. Um, you can't, you just can't bank on, on him doing enough. Like, it's it's fun in theory or whatever, but in, in actual practice. Um, is when you have a starting quarterback going up against Oklahoma State at $400 or less that's going to be throwing it that much, um, I think you just need to you know, play it smart, leave the recruiting rankings behind, and just go after a guy like Zach Smith um, instead. So that's kind of how I'm, I'm viewing the, the quarterback position. And then um, I will, of course, you know, I'm I'm duty bound and honor bound by by what I've said on this podcast. I got to have a Grant Wells lineup um, in there as well. I don't I don't know if I'm specifically recommending it for everyone to try at home. App State's pretty good on defense, um, but Grant Wells, you know, he might just uh, negate that as a, as a factor and just continue to torch. Yeah, all eyes will be on McKechnie Bowl one, I, I think, this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I appreciate your loyalty. To Grant Wells, and I, I honestly, I think it's going to pay off. Going back to, I, I've seen him mostly just called DJU because guys just don't even want to spell this out on Twitter. Like, what are the chances that we have two guys that are major college stars at like the two premier programs in the span of what two years now? I guess with Tua Tagovailoa and now DJ Ayugalele. Um, like, like how? What are the what are the chances that we get two guys with those names? I guess is what I'm saying as as a name aficionado at those schools. Um, you know, uh, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know how to how to answer that, but yeah, it, I'm it's, not I'm not looking for like a number, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, regardless, it, it's fun. It's fun to say. I'm I'm gonna continue to work on not butchering the pronunciation because come this time next year, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football already. It's not going to take him much time at all. He'll get some live reps uh, this year, pretty much any week that Clemson puts away their opponent. Um, he's going to be in there uh, getting some getting some reps, um, kind of the way that, that Tua did um, behind Jalen Hurts in 2017 right. before ultimately taking over. I'm not foreseeing him. What, obviously game, what game did he take over in again? I completely forgot. Um, You know, uh, it's hard to say. There, there were a couple instances, so, you know. Um, yeah, there's one specific one I was thinking that. Oh, really? of, I just can't remember who they played in that one. Did they? I thought. Hmm, was it Georgia hmm. Tech? Or was it Georgia? Oh, it was Georgia. It was Georgia. Okay. It was Georgia. Oh, shoot. That's okay. right. That. And okay. That, <laughs> over that. Repressed memories coming to the surface. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that, was, that was a little. That was, that was tough, man. Did I do something to make you mad? Dang. No. I, I think I, I watched most of that game with you. I think that you was in, uh, in Office Manager Kevin's uh, basement. We watched that one and. 
man Ke- Ke- I felt uh, kevin who who has the cord cut so we were watching on the espn app and uh <laughs> Uh, the freaking field goal at the end of regulation, uh, the, of course it stalled out then. And I think oh, that right. that almost killed me right there on the spot, honestly. I forgot about that. Man, <laughs> that was a game. I, I'm sorry that Georgia had to be involved, but what a game that was. Truly. Um, anyway, sorry for that. Let's move on to the running back position. Unsurprisingly, another Clemson Tiger sits at the top of the pricing. Travis Etienne at 9200 A little bit of a gap, $700 down to Chuba Hubbard at 8500 um, how much do you guys are? How much do you expect both of these guys to be chalk? Even even in some matchups, you know, against Citadel and against Tulsa, that should be pretty advantageous. Um, so the thing with ETN that that I'm almost talking myself in, into him in a way is I think that people are going to be um, disillusioned enough by the by the Trevor Lawrence vulturing of touchdowns at the goal line last week uh, to where that coupled with ETN being 700 more expensive, like you said, that, than Chuba Hubbard to where I could see very and the expected game script, obviously, of ETN probably not seeing a ton of carries. But this could be one of those games for ETN where he has like 10 carries for 180 and two touchdowns or something like that. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, he's not going to he's not cash viable, in my opinion, because there is the the very strong likelihood that he goes for less than 12 carries. But it just might be so explosive on a per carry basis against Citadel that that he still finds a way to to crack value and, and you know score into the close to 30 points on DraftKings. So keep that in mind before you completely write him off and just only uh, lock Chuba into your lineup. That, that could be an interesting way to separate yourself um, in some tournaments there. But um, yeah, Chuba is just the more obvious play. He has the obvious path to volume. Uh, Tulsa. Can't really stop a nosebleed on the ground. Um, I think that they're just going to be leaning on Chuba a fair bit. Maybe they have a little bit of interest in getting like the Chuba for Heisman rolling. So all of that combined, I think that, that this sets up for a very strong day for, from Chuba. I don't, I don't expect him to to flop whatsoever. I think that, you know, 25 points would be like a, a surprising, surprisingly low outcome. Uh, for him comes Saturday. So those are those are the approaches for like the two elite guys. Um, Kyron Williams is a really interesting guy too. at 8400 uh, kind of entrenched as the starter for Notre Dame. Now, no one really knew what to make of this Notre Dame back, backfield going into last week. But Kyron Williams looks like the real deal can also catch passes out of the backfield, which is huge on DraftKings. So I like him a fair bit. Um, and his teammate, Chris Tyree, the freshman, 4,300. Um, he's he's an interesting pivot if you want to get some exposure to the Notre Dame offense but don't want to pay uh, full boat. Um, I, I think that Tyree is an interesting way of going about it because I think that Notre Dame should dominate South Florida in this one. Uh, I know that they looked pretty sloppy against Duke last week. I was really shocked by that for the most part. Um, but I think even still at South Florida, several cuts below Duke. I, I think that, uh, that Notre Dame should be able to, to kind of lean on them with their offensive line and, and really, um, dictate that, that game. And with that, Kyron Williams should be pretty interesting as well. Uh, Garrett Dokes, um, also checks in pretty highly, um, salaried there, um, 7,600 going up against Austin P. Um, I think that he should be the, the main, uh, ball carrier for Cincinnati. Um, there, there's some love for some of the other guys in that backfield, but Dokes, I think is the most experienced. Experienced. I think they ride with him at least in this week one game against Austin P. Austin P. obviously a, a FCS school. The Governors, uh, major respect to them. You know, they, they, they played in that opening game of the season a few weeks back and everything like that. But they don't really stand a chance against Cincinnati. So so uh, 
yeah, I think that that Dokes could be a legit option as well at 7,600. And I'm not as inclined to go after Brandon Knox this week just because I I think he's going to get a lot of work. But App State, I think, is going to be very, very keyed in on slowing him down and making Grant Wells uh, beat them through the air. I think that that uh, removing Knox from from the equation, I think, is the is the main approach for a lot of teams uh, when facing Marshall this year because Knox has just been such like a central uh, like force uh, of their of their offense with with that run game being as electric as it was under him. So I think App State probably sells out to stop him, and um, so it's going to be more through the air if Marshall's going to going to pull the upset um, in that one. And that that's my read on like the the top end of of the running back uh, class right now for this week. Any interest in targeting Ty J Spears at Tulane or essentially targeting that Navy defense? Yes, I think that Navy's defense is definitely in trouble here. I think that, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, reach down and, you know, in terms of just pride, they don't want what happened against BYU to happen again. But sometimes there's just not a whole lot you can do and and unfortunately for them like Tulane is like the worst type of team like this sort of power option power spread um, type of run game that can just be as electric as like 10 yards per carry uh, like in the case of Tajay Spears so he's not cheap cheap he's he's 6k on DraftKings but I'm such an explosive runner Um, I really like his chances against the Navy defense that I I think is still uh, they might not get it together at all this year that that happens with some of these uh service academy teams like they they have a team that's very senior late in one year they lose a bunch of guys they lose a bunch of uh production and starting starting guys from the year before and then they just really can't gel and it becomes a lost season i think we kind of saw it last year at army um and then army is you know back on track this year of course um i think navy is is in for a, a long year a tough year and I think playing against a team like Tulane doesn't help matters. So I like Spears a fair bit um, at 6K. Um, and then one other guy, uh, subs uh, 7K, uh, David Bailey. Um, I don't think that uh, Boston College is going to use him the way that the previous offense did um, with, with A.J. Dillon because it's a new coaching staff and all that. And they, they have a guy in Phil Jerkovich who is a big big time quarterback recruit. So I think they're going to try to lean more on the, on the passing game than in, in previous years, but run game still the bread and butter for BC. Um, I think that Duke is going to have some trouble slowing David Bailey down. David Bailey kind of has some AJ Dillon 2.0, uh, vibes to him. Not, not the same, uh, just refrigerator filled with cement that AJ Dillon was, but, but certainly a guy that that's, uh, tough to bring down if, if he's coming at you at full speed, six foot, two thirty six, so not too far behind what what AJ Dillon checks in at. So that that's gonna be a long day for for those Duke defenders on Saturday. All right, at the receiver position, yet another Clemson Tiger is at the top of the list at eighty three hundred. Amari Rogers, of course, no Justin Ross for Clemson. Um, any interest in Amari Rogers or any of these? What is it? I think six guys are priced above seven thousand. Yeah, th- this is where I'm going to try to find some value. I like the more expensive running backs for the most part this week, and I, I like some of the expensive quarterbacks. Um, so I'm going to try to bargain hunt a little bit as far as the, as the pass catchers go. Um, Amari Rogers, um, easiest fade of any of like the the top priced guys, just because you know he's dependent on, on Trevor Lawrence getting him the ball, and you know when there are guys like Joe Joe Nada, uh, Frank Ladson 
that type of thing. Braden Galloway looked good last week. It looked like he might be a factor in, in this Clemson offense. So really, really thin margin for error for, for him to be paying off Rodgers, that is, especially if he's only going to play a half, may, maybe 35 minutes at most. Um, how many targets can you really expect from him? So um, I'm, I'm going to stay away there. I think Tylen Wallace is probably the, the uh, high-priced receiver that, that makes the most sense at 7,700. Um, you know, he, we know what he is. Uh, he's coming off the injury though. So that might steer me away from him just a little bit. I think that he, if I'm going after the Oklahoma state passing game at all in a lineup, I will stack him, uh, with Spencer Sanders, but you know, I just want to temper expectations just a little bit, um, for Tylen Wallace. Hopefully he blows those expectations out of the water, of course. Um, and then looking elsewhere, Diami Brown, um, again, I, I think that this could be the week to buy back in on the North Carolina um, offense uh, going up against Charlotte. So uh, he saw a good bit of volume and was efficient with that volume last week. So I like him a fair bit as well at, at 71. Um, so th- that's how I, I'm viewing like the, this top uh, tier of receivers. Alec Pierce of, of Cincinnati being the other one. Um, he's yeah, no, he's he definitely would be worthwhile at 7,900 going up against Austin P. It's just a, an, again another uh, factor of how much does Cincinnati gonna gonna have to play uh, their starters in this one, and and you know maybe they spread the ball around to to um, Pierce's teammates a little bit too much for him to to hit that uh, pr- uh, value at 7,900. Any guys to highlight in that kind of you know 5,000 to 6,500 range? Yes. So there there are a, a few. Keelan uh, Stokes of Tulsa is an interesting guy. Uh, he sees a really, really high uh, target volume. So especially if you're going after um, Zach Smith and some of this Tulsa passing game, um, that's definitely something that you should you should consider. He had over 100 targets a year ago, caught 62 of those t- of those 105 targets for 1,040 yards and six scores. Also was a little bit involved in the run game as well. Don't expect that here, but I do expect him to to really be peppered with targets um, in this one. So look out for him. Um, I think looking elsewhere, Talit Keaton is an interesting player. Again, if you want to go after that Marshall passing game at all, I think that he's someone to to consider. Uh, Marquez Stevenson might be the the biggest value relative to name recognition on on this slate. Stevenson, a guy that's been a stud at Houston for seemingly forever. Um, And and he's he's coming out here going up against Baylor's defense. That's not great. I mean, it's it's fine. But, you know, and Dave Aranda being there, I'm sure is going to be you know, an injection of, of, of talent and better scheming on Baylor side of things. But this is just the first game for them. Uh, Stevenson, a very um, experienced receiver, almost 2000 yards over the last two seasons. Uh, so at 6,500, when he's going to be getting close to like 30% of Houston's targets, that's just an awesome value uh, relative to um, the, this scoring setting with, with it being full PPR um, over on over on DK. So I like that a fair bit. I think Zay Flowers is an interesting uh, dart throw uh, for Boston College, a really big play receiver, not a ton of volume when it comes to him. Um, but going up against Duke, I think that he could get behind those defenders, uh, maybe make a splash play or two. So something to consider um, for, for your tournaments, uh, that sort of thing. So that that's that's my view on, on those guys. Um, 
looking elsewhere. Oh, uh, Shockey. Th- this this ties in nicely because he's also on our all name team. But Shockey, uh, Jaquez Lewis of Pitt going up against Syracuse. Pitt being at home. Jaquez Lewis, a really big play uh, type of weapon. Certainly not a high volume guy. So again, another more tournament type of play. But um, at 4,500. Um, I, I think that he's he's a good bet to hit that value there. I think that he's he's going to see uh, he's going to be able to get open on that Syracuse defense, and I think that Pitt will throw it enough um, in his direction to make it worth it. And then uh, dropping it down a little bit, uh, Noah Gray is someone who I talked about I think in, in the Discord la- last week, um, but. Uh, he, he's a tight end for Duke and he's kind of like that primary target for Duke. One of those rare college offenses that really, really features the tight end. Um, and, and gray is, is one of those guys obviously, and, and a very productive one at that. So he's someone to consider. And then if you want to go even crazier down on the, the tight end value board, um, at 3,400, he was min priced last week and, and saw some targets. So I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how it pays off against South Florida, but that's Michael Meyer, um, or Michael Mayer of Notre Dame. One of the very few, uh, five-star freshman tight ends. You, you don't really see, uh, the fifth star get applied to tight ends very often, but he got one and he was on the field a lot. Um, and Notre Dame lost a slot receiver in Brent or, uh, in Ben Scournick, uh, this past week. So that, that might change that usage tree, maybe funnel it a little bit more over towards the tight ends. Um, so 3,400, if you're really pinched looking for that last spot to fill like at your receiver or your flex position, and you just need some, someone there to, that has a pulse, um, so you can really fit the the stars in the rest of your lineup. I think that Meyer is someone someone to uh, to consider and someone that I definitely will be uh, considering this weekend. All right, let's get to our all name team picks for week three. Um, uh, not quite as loaded of a of a slate, partially because some of these guys played last week and you know we don't want to double up, uh, but nonetheless, still um, some incredible names. And we we have to start right at the top with two guys who I think are going to end up being in contention for a first team all name all american spot when this when this is all said and done fat watts and deuce watts <laughs> the best like I, you know i'm coming through the uh, the box score for for tulane over the weekend after the game i didn't see enough of it live so i wanted to wanted to get an idea of what what went on in that game and when i see fat watts and deuce watts on there uh making a splash in the in the box score i just I get excited. I, I, there's nothing else I, I can really say. I, I'm I'm just a mortal man who enjoys a, a tandem in fat and deuce watts. I think that's like one of the f- greatest things I've ever seen. And like it, it, it jives so well with Tulane. I don't know why I can't like fully explain why, but it just it just makes sense that those guys play for Tulane. Right. And I love it. So I, I did a little research. It, it's fat watts spelled P-H-A-T, which it, in and of itself is incredible. You know, we, we had a, a fat lever in the NBA uh, back in the day, but that was spelled F-A-T. Kind of weird. Mm-hmm. P-H-A-T, so much cooler. Yes. Uh, I went to his I went to his player page on the Tulane website, and, you know, anybody like you and I who's perused a player page or two in our day, <laughs> you know, usually usually in the bio section, they'll, they'll list, you know, any kind of interesting facts. If a player has a nickname, they'll always list their real name in that area. Nothing was listed at all. So I, until further notice, his real name is Fat, P-H-A-T. 
What a what a king. I I I love Fat Watts and and of course, you know, a lot of respect for for Deuce Watts as well. Anyone named right. Deuce is always yep. is always Daly, good. Deuce McAllister, right. The list goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh Shockey Jaquez Lewis, who you mentioned earlier, that's a no-brainer. If your first name is Shockey, doesn't matter what your last name is. Correct. Uh, but even better he, yet. Yeah, so he's really just kind of like piling on almost. It's like, "All right, yeah. you're already named Shockey, like leave right. some for the rest of us." Yeah, run the ball, man. Um <laughs> Gage Walker uh, mm-hmm. running back from Liberty. Uh, Gage is spelled G-A-E-G. That's why he's on this list. Just an absolutely absurd spelling. Um, <laughs> we have Otis Anderson, a running back at UCF. This is just a first name thing. You know, Otis is actually a pretty cool name, and I really have not ever seen anyone under the age of 55 named Otis, possibly even yeah, 65. A, a baby named Otis, like, that's not real. Yeah. <laughs> No, right, exactly. There's not even any like cool nickname you can call him. Like you just you have to stare that baby in the eyes and and say his name, Otis. <laughs> we have uh, a running back at UTSA, Sincere McCormick. He's actually uh, really good too. So so like doesn't that, matter. I don't I don't care if these guys we're are good. being it's sincere. Yeah, right. But that yeah, that is a nice double down. I mean, anytime that your your name is is also an adjective, I think that's usually a pretty good thing, right? I, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have Rontavius Groves, a wide receiver at UNC. I'm like 90% sure I named someone Rontavius Groves when I was playing NCAA football 06. Yeah, anytime uh, they show up school. in the recruiting cycle, you like go hard after them. Yeah, right. It's like he's, you know, it's revealed that he's like a 72 overall. And you're like, well, I'll, I'll goose him up a little bit. His name's Rontavius Groves. Like this guy can't not be good. Uh, we have a Ja'Cory Morgan wide receiver at Houston. He's on the list only because Ja'Cory uh, reminds me of Ja'Cory Harris and I hadn't thought about him in a while. Um, Juan Carlos Santana, a receiver at Tulsa. One, Juan Carlos, own champagne? awesome first name. He might, but yeah, then, I mean, he should just drop the one and just go by Carlos Santana, right? I think so, but, uh, you know, there, there's something cool about going by Juan Carlos as yeah. well, so um, respected either way, but yeah, that, that name... Absolutely rocks. Uh, well, let's uh, let's take a look here at, at where he's at on, on DraftKings. Uh, Min priced, so um, DK not as hip to him as we are. Uh, let, let's hope that he you know gets a couple splash plays in here. Yeah, he'll be he'll be a lock in all my lineups. Uh, Cameron Peoples on the surface. Cameron Peoples, you know, not that crazy of a name. Wrong. Spelled Cameron <laughs> C A M E R U N, and he's a running back for Appalachian State. So. In a lot of ways, I feel like his parents like spoke his football career into existence by naming him Cam Run. Cam Run, Can Run. You love to see it. Yeah. Um, Moss Sacabano from Charlotte, a wide receiver. This one up there is up there for me. Uh, Sacabano is just an awesome last name. You know, it, your first name could be like Bill, Bill Sacabano. Like that, that's a cool name. But then Moss, Moss Sacabano. What do you think about that one? That's, I mean, that, that, just completely bowled me over. I mean, it, it's almost like uh, a character right out of The Sopranos or something. Uh, so I'm into that, of course. Um, just an awesome name. Uh, plays for a cool team. I think Charlotte's one of those group of five teams that, that's ascending. And, and I, I like the culture that they're building there with with Will Healy. Uh, just kind of like a fun team that, that really leans into the just being Charlotte's college football team, uh, that sort of thing. And I mean, having a guy like I was already, you know, sold on, on them for a lot of reasons. But now that I know that they have a guy named Moss Sacamano, I mean, it, uh, you know, they talk I about building a culture. Yeah, I might be cheating on on uh, Marshall and App State with, with Charlotte by the end of the week. 
Uh, we have Amon Green, receiver at Georgia State. Uh, it's spelled a little differently, but if your name is Amon Green, um, you're going to make this list for obvious reasons. Um, and then we, ha- we had a receiver, another UTSA mention. I mean, already a, a team that that has a, a, a first-team possibility in Sincere McCormick. Uh, Brennan Dingle, uh, which, you know, one, pretty solid name. Dingle, you know, kind of a funny name. Brennan, also kind of a funny name. <laughs> but turns out, He's second cousins with San Antonio Spurs forward Rudy Gay. And Rudy Gay went to the game last weekend, which was like maybe the game of the weekend. I think it was an overtimer. I think that like more than 80 points were scored in that one. Um, So I'm I'm glad that, uh, you know, Rudy Gay is definitely a proud second cousin right now because, uh, you know, Brennan Dingle uh, having that UTSA connection. You love it. All right. We'll send it out on this, John. What is the one game? from this weekend could be could be a thursday game could be a friday game could be a saturday game that you are most looking forward to you know we we've been treated to you know so many games that you kind of had to talk yourself into being being excited about and we're going from that to like having a legitimately awesome primetime game on, on saturday so I'm, I'm really excited about this it is miami going up to louisville uh to face off against the cardinals uh louisville two and a half point favorites in this one uh 64 and a half is the over under uh the number 17 ranked hurricanes going up against the number 18 uh cardinals like that's just that's an amazing early season matchup and especially when we've uh really been been hoping for and waiting for some some good power five matchups here uh through the first couple of weeks of the season a lot of them have been kind of duds um we have miami versus louisville and we don't have the problem that we did last week where these teams are playing their first game and you know kind of having that feel out process both of these teams have uh you know secured victories against quality conference usa opponents they've gotten their licks they're they're ready to go um miami again with derrick king and then uh, louisville uh just so many fun players on that team tutu atwell if you don't know him already get to know him he's the best um mikhail and he's actually from miami if i remember correctly so i mean there's there could be some serious reckoning from from two you know maybe a little, little upset that um he didn't end up as a hurricane out of out of high school so a little bit of revenge narrative i love those i i buy into them like like a buffoon uh whenever i see them uh, this seems like a good one to to buy in on so uh tutu atwell i think is going to make everybody saturday night absolutely that one kicks off at 7 30 eastern time uh that game is the the abc game of the week obviously the only ranked versus ranked game we have uh, we were supposed to have uh number 21 byu against the 22nd ranked army black knights uh, but that game is currently postponed and will hopefully be played at a later date. All right, John, great breakdown, as always, of the DFS slate. Uh, make sure you keep an eye out for all the content that'll be up on RotoWire's college football page over these next few days, heading into week three of the college football season. <sighs> so glad that the Big Ten is back. Can't tell you how much of a relief this is. And now it's just going to be a countdown uh, until what, what was the date? October 24th? That's right. When we see an empty stadium in Piscataway, New Jersey, and yes, uh, everything will feel back to normal. There was a mention that they might play some games on Mondays. I, I kind of like, a, I, I would not be opposed to like a Rutgers-Purdue, like maybe like a 145 kickoff on a Monday afternoon. Sure. Why not? Like, <laughs> whatever they, from the spotlight whatever as they much need as to do, just, yeah. sure, just do it. <laughs> I love it. Play it on the Hallmark Network. 
Well, I mean, they're going to have to, yeah, if they did it on like the Paramount Network, they'd have to like break up their John Wick triple marathon or something. So that, that might upset some people, some gamers out yeah. there. And MTV's uh, so, like, no thanks. We got we got a ridiculousness marathon lined up for the next yeah, four months. You won't believe what Chanel West Coast has for us this week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.